This very special episode of She Explores was created in partnership with REI Co-op, who believes a life outdoors is a life well-lived for all. Since 1938, they've been your local outdoor co-op, bringing you everything you need to live your best life outside. From top-quality gear and apparel to expert advice, rental equipment, inspiring stories of life outside, plus incredible experiences in your backyard and in over 40 countries around the world to enjoy alone or share with your friends and family. As a co-op, they put purpose before profits and act in the long-term interests of their members. Each year, REI invests 70 cents of every dollar they take in back into the outdoor community with the goal of helping more people get into nature, steward outdoor spaces, support sustainable businesses, and help the fight for life outside. Stay tuned for later in the episode. We'll learn more in our mid-rolls about REI's Force of Nature initiatives, as well as how they're helping to lead an industry-wide effort to ensure that all people who have a passion for the outdoors feel welcome outside. Visit REI.com to learn more. Hi, everyone. It's Gail. I'm thrilled to pass the mic to Amanda Machado today for a special episode made with the help of REI, covering thoughts from the PGM1 conference in Philly. I first interviewed Amanda for this show in the summer of 2017 after reading her essay, The Strangeness of Being a Latina Who Loves Hiking, on Vox.com. We also collaborated for two She Explores episodes last summer with the National Parks Conservation Association. Amanda is a gifted writer, and it's an honor to have her and a privilege for all of us that she wanted to cover this conference for She Explores. Okay, I'll let the show. I'm Amanda Machado, and you're listening to She Explores. It's a few minutes before the opening keynote address at PGM1, and the DJ starts to play Lauren Hill. Within seconds, hundreds of people leave their seats in the auditorium and rush the stage. Suddenly, the opening keynote has become a dance party. As I move my way through the newly created dance floor, I run into Mustafa Santiago Ali, the night's keynote speaker. He's smiling and recording the dancing on his phone and dancing a little bit himself. He tells me that in the last few months, he's been to dozens of conferences. I ask him, did any start like this? He laughs and tells me none. This is just one of those moments. And I was sitting there and I was like, Lord, I was like, I don't know what I'm about to go up there and say. (laughs) We got people dancing like I ain't seen dancing in a long time. We got people singing like, you know, that that was almost angelic. I was like, I was looking to the heavens and stuff. I'm a writer and facilitator, and for the last few years, I've been deeply interested in the intersection between race, social justice, and the outdoors. But before attending this conference, I questioned my space in the outdoor industry and the environmentalism movement in general. I didn't like being called outdoorsy or an environmentalist and didn't really know if I belonged in those communities. I had lots of insecurities and a lot of imposter syndrome. But after attending last year's PGM1 conference, my perspective changed entirely. PGM1 is a conference exclusively for people of color interested in the outdoors, nature, and environmentalist movement. The conference aims to create a safe space for people of color who, like me, often found themselves in spaces where they weren't quite sure they belonged. 
began when a group of folks who were really tired of being in environmental movement spaces dominated by whiteness came together to really demand a space for us, for people of color, for people of the global majority, to really get to lead um, and direct the, the conversation around racial justice and environmentalism. And so that's why we're here. Um, and it's become a place to really build community, to build connections, to celebrate, to laugh, to be together, um, to have each other, and to build those connections. That's Sophie Sarker, one of the conference's organizers, sharing why this conference started. As they state in their vision, PGM1 aims to make people of all racial and ethnic identities feel that they have the power to shape the vision for the future of our environment. The acronym PGM stands for People of the Global Majority, and it serves as a reminder that people of color constitute over 80% of the world population. The term reminds us that when we often use the word minority to describe people of color, it actually doesn't represent the truth of our demographic across the world. I think even just the name, people of global majority, you know, that's not a term a lot of people use, but it, I think it's, it's a nice flipped way of looking at it because it's not only people of color, but that we are the majority and that what happens to the planet affects us, you know, and that we should have a seat at the table, maybe even more so. After attending the conference last year, something healed inside me. My idea of not belonging in the outdoors or environmentalist space suddenly felt totally incorrect. After having such a transformative experience last year, I was excited to be in that healing space again. So in May, I traveled to Philadelphia to attend the third annual PGM-1 and share the learnings from it with you all. And with the dance party happening a few hours upon arriving, I remembered again why this space was so special. Yes, say P. Honestly, something that I keep noticing is that anybody I look at will smile at you. Anybody, I could literally go up to anybody and have a really great conversation and not be worried about, like, am I stepping too far? Am I saying the right things? It's just, like, people are just there to listen and see you. And I haven't had that in a long, long time. That's Samantha Villatoro, who works at the environmental nonprofit Groundwork Denver. At the conference, I met folks who worked for big name organizations as well as small grassroots nonprofits across the country. I met outdoor educators, social entrepreneurs, nonprofit workers, artists, healers, activists, and more. Throughout the episode, you'll hear from people I talk to, and where it makes sense, I'll introduce them. Make sure to listen through to the end of the show where I'll share all their names. You'll also be able to learn more about them in the show notes. As I began interviewing participants for this episode, I asked them what was special about attending a conference on environmentalism with only people of the global majority. I was just really fascinated by the idea of the space, that I would be able to meet other people who may have had parallel lives to mine and to connect and maybe hear some other people's stories because, you know, like I'm sure a lot of other people have said that uh, we often feel like we're the only person, you know, living our lives. But 
here in this space, you get to see hundreds of other people who might share similar experiences. Just the presence of being in this space is super powerful, and it's something that you feel. This is Agnes Vianzon, founder of Eastern Sierra Conservation Corps. You actually might remember Agnes from an earlier episode of She Explores. Her Conservation Corps is innovative in the space, and places like PGM1 are especially helpful in validating her ideas and helping her gain traction going forward. ESCC is now entering its third year on the ground, and so when we launched, we did launch with an all-female identifying crew, and we've actually almost tripled in programming women in the wilderness trips, arts in the wilderness, continuing to try to get queers in the wilderness funding. Part of ESCC and the reason why I wanted to create that space was to intentionally do something a little bit different than classic conservation cores and the way that that space has been run for a really long time. And so with PGM1, I'm finding tools and resources and just support in the work that I'm trying to do with ESCC and creating affinity spaces and why that's important. Over and over again, participants told me that this space made them feel like they could finally let loose and gave them a tangible sense of relief. Many felt like for the first time, they were in a place where their life experiences could be held, where they could be vulnerable without consequences on their job or professional life. Others told me it felt like exhaling after a long time of holding their breath. It feels like you can breathe. It feels like you can just relax. It feels like instant friendships. If it's, it's unique because you're not just with people that are also, you know, essentially minorities in your country, but we're all in the same field of study, and we often don't get to see other people that look like us that do this work on a regular basis. And so you find people that are already like you in personalities because of the interests of your you know, careers. But then for the first time, you don't have that barrier in front of you of getting to know them. So it feels like how it should feel every day. But unfortunately, you only get it for a few days once a year. This is Natalie Mabane, who works for the Sierra Club in D.C. Natalie has spent much of her professional career working for nonprofits. And she expressed to me the difficulty of being a woman of color in that space. I would say that, well, still needs to be healed. It's just my relationship with this white nonprofit world. It feels impossible to, ex- to exist in it. It has made me on many, many, many occasions, and I've heard this from other people too, want to quit the entire field. And it makes you feel like this isn't supposed to be your life's calling, even though you know it is your life's calling. So I would say what needs to be healed is my ability to actually be in these white nonprofit spaces and feel like a whole happy person. And I don't think that has happened yet. Here's Anaí Naranjo, the social media coordinator for PGM1. Oftentimes, us as people from the global majority, we are put in a lot of oppressive spaces. Oftentimes, whether that is spaces where, as I mentioned, we are the only 
people of color, sometimes sometimes we're the burden of educating folks on power privilege, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion falls on people of color. And so when we go through the workforce, we often find ourselves being burdened, burdened by our communities being the ones on the front lines of environmental injustices, being the ones that have to do a lot of the bulk of emotional labor. And so when I look back, you know, the past year after PGM1, how I felt very rejuvenated after PGM1, talking to people that had gone through similar experiences, being in a room here where I don't have to explain myself, where I don't have to justify my presence in these spaces is something really powerful. Every single person I interviewed acknowledged that the moments and conversations that happened here simply couldn't have happened in a white-led space. For me, I didn't realize how much of myself I restrained in other spaces until I came to PGM1 and viscerally felt the difference. I spoke to one woman at the conference who told me, every single second I am managing myself in a way that will make white people feel comfortable. For her and other folks I spoke to, This experience made them reflect on all the compromises they unconsciously made back home. It made them question, how often do they accommodate themselves to what white people wanted? And did that still feel worth it? I really liked what the speaker, Adrienne Marie Brown, was saying about being kind of like vigilant around when we are in these like special spaces not having everything we do be centered around whiteness or like processing whiteness and the importance of looking beyond that like okay like before after like outside of that experience like who are we that's Jandrika Francis a speaker at the conference who runs a swim school in Seattle for women and non-binary folks of color she mentioned the conference keynote speaker Adrian Marie Brown in her speech, she urged us to find ways to decenter whiteness in our work. Before presenting at the conference, Chandrika began asking herself questions about how our workshop would change in an all-POC space. What is there now room for that it's just people of color? Like, what would I, like, not do if not just that we are only people of color participants, but that's like explicit, you know, like that's the p- part of the point of us being together. So like what is different than if it's in a white organization? And that's like w- what I think about a lot. And that's like what I wrote my master's thesis on is like what's different in environmental education when it's like for people of color and decolonized, hopefully. Yeah, there's like a lot of things that are different, it turns out. <laughs> this was something I would keep thinking about throughout PGM1. What changes about the environmentalism movement when people of color are both the leaders and the audience? Chandrika explained that with an all-POC audience, she knew her workshop needed to address the specific history and context of people of color in the outdoors. We did some meditation and I read a poem and we had a chance to like talk about our specifically our like cultural racial identities and experience with water and i think that that is really important to any like decolonized environmental education when you have poc participants is like space to actually directly look at and talk about the barriers like why is this why why do we need to learn how to swim now as adults like what has prevented this from feeling safe before In spaces led by people of color, the oppressive history and context to the environmental movement gets placed at the forefront. The opening ceremony of PGM1 provided another key example of this. The organizers opened the conference by acknowledging the native land we were gathering on. 
and sharing with us their history. So we want to begin by honoring and acknowledging that we are here on the ancestral lands of the Lenape people and that we recognize that we owe our vitality, our existence, our ability to breathe and be present here and to experience and enjoy the rivers and the parks and the outdoor spaces that we went on field trips today because of the Lenape people and how they stewarded these lands for 10,000 years. 10,000 years before European contact with European settlers. Um, and after signing one of the first ever Indian treaties with the newly formed US government in 1778, the Lenape people were forcibly removed to what are now reservations in Kansas, Oklahoma, and also in Canada and Ontario. So we want to take this moment to breathe and pay respect to Lenape elders, both past and present, and to acknowledge the 13,000 Native people that still live in Philadelphia today, some of whom are in this room right now. And beyond this acknowledgement, we, we really want everyone in this room right now for the rest of the summit to consider the history of colonization, the history of violence and displacement and migration and settlement, and to consider our place in the undoing of its legacies. All of us together. We'll hear more from the PGM1 summit after this. REI Co-op believes that a life outdoors is a life well-lived for all. That's why they are helping to lead an industry-wide effort to ensure that the full range of people who have a passion for the outdoors feel welcome outside. They are working with their 13,000 employees, 18 million members, and the broader outdoor community toward a reality where everyone has the opportunity to be themselves, to access opportunities, and find their place in the outdoors. REI's own Miriam Silas Colornell got the opportunity to catch up with Jalen Goff, founder of Native Women's Wilderness, about her experience working with REI. So being at the co-op community is at the core of what we do. And since 2008, REI has built strong partnerships with organizations that are providing space, belonging, and outdoor experiences to multicultural communities. In 2012, the REI National Partnership Program really took shape in a formal way. The program has been incredibly successful. We have partnerships with organizations like Outdoor Afro and Black Girls Run, Latino Outdoors, 52 Hike Challenge, and just many more incredible organizations that are doing work at the national level with networks across the country. And our newest partner is Native Women Wilderness, which we're so excited to launch this partnership. And it's so fresh and it's so new. We're just incredibly excited to work with her. So Jalen, so why don't you tell us a little bit more about Native Women Wilderness? So Native Women's Wilderness was created out of the frustration of the lack of Native people, let alone Native women and girls and non-binaries represented in the outdoor industry, 
We are now an organization that works on elevating Native women's voices and non-binaries. We work within the Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women campaign. We get people outside. We give them the opportunity to get outside, to go on trails or runs. We also give the opportunity to give our people the ability to excel in different skill sets. So um, we're working in getting people their uh, wilderness first responders, give opportunities for persons to go to camps or to elevate their skills. If you keep listening after the credits, you can hear more of Miriam and Jalen's conversation. Learn more at REI.com. That's REI.com. We're back. The opening ceremonies included a dance performance about the role of borders and migration on the environment, and a hip-hop performance that showed footage of the water crisis in Flint and the impact of Hurricane Katrina on predominantly Black communities in New Orleans. As part of the opening ceremony, there was a performance with a woman and an MC on stage. The woman began singing, Then, the MC asked the audience to call in groups of people they would like to welcome into the space. Participants invited groups of people often ignored, shamed, or otherwise excluded. general, the space put a level of intention into each detail of the conference to make it feel inclusive. For example, the food provided for the conference was made by 1149, a local co-op founded and run by people of color in Philadelphia. The conference Friday night party was hosted at Life Do Grow Farm, a community garden that works with young people of color in the city. I could tell the organizers had put time into ensuring that each part of the conference structure reflected the values the conference aimed to promote. Of course, no space is perfect, but the people leading PGM1 were constantly reflecting on what they could do to be better. Here's Grace Anderson, the director of PGM1. Uh, I also want to acknowledge the people that aren't here. Um, the folks where accessibility was too big of a barrier to be here. Um, the people where financial barriers were too high for them to be here. Um, folks who haven't felt safe at previous PGM1s. Um, I just want to hold space for those people right now and recognize that they aren't here with us. Um, and hoping that we can truly make PGM1 a space for all people of color. I hadn't heard that kind of acknowledgement at many other conferences or workspaces. The mistakes you make, the people you leave out, the things you don't consider, becomes a very private conversation. But this idea of learning in public, learning as you're doing, or learning as you're leading, was refreshingly new. A lot of people aren't afraid to be uncomfortable, and I think that is something that is definitely missing from, you know, the environmentalist movement right now, is that we are trying to make everybody feel really comfortable, and 
Honestly, I think we have gotten to the point where we need to be radical, and especially because the communities are being affected the most by, honestly, either climate change or any, any change, any detrimental change, especially our communities of color. So we need to stop being, making people feel comfortable and like really get into that uncomfortable zone because you can't evolve unless you're in an uncomfortable place. So I think, I think that's something I've seen uh, the leadership here is like people are willing to get uncomfortable, get their hands dirty and really hold people accountable. And that, that's been really awesome. This was a key difference at PGM1. Unlike so many other workspaces, this space welcomed conversations about inclusivity and welcomed the discomfort that came with it. I find that when you go back home or you go back to your regular group, your regular organization, things like race are always hush-hush conversations. They're always uncomfortable conversations. They're always things that you know are there, but nobody ever, ever, ever wants to acknowledge it. They don't want to acknowledge racism. It's always every single other explanation except that. So it would be nice in your own, my own space, my regular space, to have people actually acknowledge when racism is at work and acknowledge when it happens and call it out and address it rather than always trying to cover it up. Another key difference, at PGM1, we weren't only advocating for nature. There was also a reverence for nature that other spaces don't often make room for. Chandrika described this space as being unapologetic with ritual. It's an indigenous way of coming of coming to water and land. It's like with a reverence and a sacredness that in like white science environmental education, it's not set up for that. Other attendees felt this too, especially through the many art performances scheduled throughout the conference. This land, this land was Mexican once. Was Indian. Was Indian. This land was Mexican once, and, and will be again. Was Indian again. always, and is, and will be again. Yo soy un puente tendido del mundo gabacho al de mojado. Lo pasado me estira para atrás y lo presente para adelante. Que la Virgen de Guadalupe me cuide. Ay, ay. For me, the ceiling has been happening is really um, extraordinary in a way that I hadn't thought about it. Just like the art that has been presented, the dances, the songs, the poems, all of that. Like I find myself crying or like tearing every time that I see something like that. But I feel like that's just the way that I'm like healing through seeing all of these types of art that have been presented, directed specifically toward those those issues that we encounter in the movement. The theme of this year's conference was resilience and healing. The conference had workshops with topics like forest therapy, black herbalism, addressing climate grief and mental health, decolonizing wilderness writing, and others. The strong message resonating seemed to be, if we're going to solve the problems of environmentalism, we have to first heal our relationship with nature in general, 
and heal the way we have thought about its role in our lives. I think most of all, I think people need to be reconnected to the land because we are already dependent on nature and the environment and it's easy to forget that. I think when we're not connected to our environment, then we're not really connected to each other and that is really painful. And from my own personal experience and why, what motivates me to be in the line of work that I am, I am currently, I feel like whenever I'm outside alone, I really don't have to be what other people see me as. You know, I don't have to be a Chinese person. I don't have to be a woman. I don't have to be any of those things. I could just be my authentic self. And I think that in itself, that experience is really healing. And I hope to cultivate that in other people as well. And I wonder what the world would look like if everybody was able to do that. I think something Adrian Marie Brown brought up yesterday is I think one thing that we're missing is that connection to the communities that are already connected to, to nature and learning from them instead of kind of trying to rebuild the wheel. They're protectors of the earth and the earth protects them and how we need to learn to be the same. The relationship to earth is not monolithic. Everybody has their own individual relationships to earth and... Um, and has and is owed a sense of belonging to nature. I think that needs to echo through every being, especially when that relationship is wounded. I hope that people get a chance to mend that relationship because it's really important. I think there's like a common theme and I feel like I, I, I'm trying to remember this like quote from Leah Penniman from Soul Fire, who talked about something along the lines of like land being the scene of the crime, but not the perpetrator in terms of like experiences of enslavement. And then similarly for a lot of other experiences of oppression, I think safe spaces, meaning like POC spaces that are like held safely because they can be POC spaces that are not safe as well but that are held and have where people have the the space and the support to look at that relationship more and kind of like detangle that painful history from the earth and I think what we beyond like attention to that which is like work you know like putting attention to that I think just like layers and layers and layers of experiences of safety and joy and connection where land and water are like part of that you know like it can be a party in the forest but like it's not just me and you it's me you and the forest you know like that that there needs to be a lot of layers of joy that are part of that work and that sort of I mean that's where like this um Adrian Marie Brown was just like you know talking about like joy and pleasure as needing to be central to any revolution and I think that that is true for our healing around, around the earth and water. We'll hear more from the PGM One Summit after this. You might remember when two years ago, REI put a stake in the ground to declare gender equity in the outdoors with their Force of Nature initiatives. 
They want to change the predominant narrative by putting women of all ages, races, sizes, and gender expressions front and center. And that's what they did, launching a women-only takeover of their marketing for the rest of 2017. It brought us some incredible storytelling, including the short film The Murnivator. And they didn't just uplift women through the stories they told. REI's Force of Nature also built community through over a thousand in-person events and experiences specifically designed for women. They've worked to provide more women's gear options, elevate entrepreneurs who are women, and especially to offer apparel in more sizes. Today, they carry a wide range of plus-size apparel in 21 stores and an even wider selection online. And to top it off, they've given back to 48 nonprofit organizations connecting women and girls with the outdoors through the Force of Nature Fund. One thing we love is that REI Force of Nature isn't just a temporary campaign. They've made it their new normal, an ongoing commitment to highlighting women and their inspiring stories at least half the time from now on in all their articles, films, and podcasts. And that's all women, inclusive of race, age, gender expression, and size. Because uplifting women of all backgrounds isn't a trend. REI Co-op is continuing to invest in events, inclusive sizing, initiatives to support women in the workplace, and grants to nonprofit organizations that will encourage all women and girls for years to come. Learn more at REI.com slash force of nature. That's REI.com forward slash force of nature. Towards the end of the conference, I asked one participant, what would you say to white leaders in the environmentalism movement after being here at PGM1? Her answer was just one short sentence. Trust us. Speaking with her made me realize that so much of PGM1 is simply about validating the experiences and ideas of people of color in this movement. The way people of color have historically experienced environmental issues provides a specific form of expertise that is needed in order to solve these problems. But so often, those experiences are not taken seriously, and ultimately not trusted. Many attendees expressed that now seeing their experiences and ideas valued at PGM1, they wanted to go back and push harder for them to be prioritized in other spaces. Hand over the torch so we have a space to share our stories. Allow us to bring this compassion this kindness to the rest of the environmental movement because I feel like a lot of magic can happen if if the same if the same energy that's here we start seeing it in the environmental movement I would like people to know outside of this space that it's really important to recognize that your small and quick assumptions about us and how we should approach this work and who we are is is hurtful and it's something that's preventing us it's a barrier to the allies we could all be to one another with this goal to protect our earth because there's not enough time being taken to understand that we're not in these like these different boxes that can be checked off with this characteristic and that characteristic and just just being aware and just having having the same kind of respect that that you would want to see towards you and towards people in your own family and just showing us that respect in this movement because we're all in it together for our planet 
Anai Naranjo, the social media coordinator for PGM1, also emphasized that simple representation is still important. I think one of the biggest things that we need in the conservation environmental movement, outdoor recreation, is representation. Representation really does matter. And so when you have a gathering space here like with people of the global majority, it's incredible because you get to see the current leaders, the future leaders, the future ancestors of who will be leading these these spaces. And I think, um, especially nowadays, being able to meet executive directors, other people in big leadership positions here at PGM1, you're able to see that reflected into the real world. And so for myself, when I was growing up, I didn't see myself represented in a lot of these big organizations. And so to come here and see those people that are being represented and knowing that that representation is only going to increase and it's going to inspire younger generations to take on these bigger roles is, is something really incredible and something that has is extremely necessary. Representation really does matter, and I'm happy that people of the global majority are taking, we're taking that on. I wish people talked about how people of color, how the workplace, especially office workplaces, aren't, are created for uh, a white culture, and how we are not addressing that more. I work for an environmental nonprofit that is really diverse, um, and I love that, like, we are mostly PGM folks, queer folks, you know, and it's really awesome, but we operate like a white organization. I, I don't know if it's because it's a comfortable place to be in or if it's, like, they don't want to be different, but it, it's, it's annoying that we are expected to fit this mold of what an organization is supposed to be like when we're not like any other organization. Um, so I think we should we should be really looking at that, that maybe these spaces that we work in need to be a little bit more radicalized too, you know? PGM1 only started three years ago, and it's at a critical point of growth. It grew by over 100 people this year and sold out quickly. It's unclear what will come as it continues growing into its own movement. On the last day, I asked participants what lessons they would take with them after being in this space. Encouraging you and us to continue to create spaces that are like for people of the global majority and other affinity groups that we might need. And just like there is a certain magic that cannot happen without that first like boundary being set and that there are I mean I'm sure I don't know what type of emails they got but I'm sure they got some some something from somebody I know I have been getting them from people around how my workshops are racist so it's like we need it and deserve it I'm realizing how important these spaces are I would love to have maybe even a regional PGM1 and really connect with the people around me, closest to me, and just get together and dream maybe together. So my next step is when I'm talking to people about this work, I've really internalized that it doesn't have to be this formal process and it's okay to just be me and share like from a heart space why this work is so important instead of overthinking it, just building, building those relationships in a new way where you know me and I know you 
and like we're all going to screw up like people screw up all the time in these relationships but at the same time we're working towards something so important for others just being here gathering with other people of color was a reminder and celebration of everything they had to go through to make it to this space On my last hour at the conference, I ran into Maida, an undocumented graduate student. She had just finished presenting a workshop on the barriers the undocumented community faces when participating in outdoor spaces. Being here made her reflect on her own journey into this line of work and the obstacles she faced along the way. While doing our presentation, I remember um, a really cool experience about like going outdoors and um, being undocumented. When DACA was under attack, the the program that provides kind of like a work permit for two years, temporary work permit for undocumented students, we had a group of students. I went to UC Davis as an undergrad, and we had a group of women who we were just looking on ways to heal, and we were just looking to build community, and we decided to go on a hike. Uh, and for a lot of these individuals, it was their first time hiking. Um, as women of color, as first-generation students, we're often not um, being exposed to the outdoors. So for a lot of these individuals, it was their first time hiking. And it was a five-mile loop that um, was really rocky, and you had to do some scrambling at first. And the trip was really tough because a lot of folks were not used to being in that. So it took us like five to six hours to complete that. And um, at the end, everybody was, like, everybody was really tired and really drained. And uh, the mentor, the guy that helped us, he was an ally. He basically said, all of these struggles that you faced throughout the hike, like... They were like really tough. You had a really hard time, but at the end of the day, like you made it. And because it was when DACA was under attack, he basically mentioned how, even though we have all of these difficulties, just like in the path through the hike, we're gonna get to the end and we're gonna look back and we're gonna think, like, dang, I made it. Like after all of these, um, I was able to get through it. So that was like really, really impactful for me. James Baldwin wrote, when you try to stand up and look the world in the face like you have the right to be here, you have attacked the entire power structure of the Western world. Hearing so many brave stories at PGM1 empowered me to believe that I too had a right to be in the outdoors and environmentalism space. It made me feel proud to be a person of color in a way that I didn't know I needed. Before coming to PGM1, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what a world created and led by people of color could look like or feel like after so much time spent without it. I felt so grateful to experience that world for at least three days at PGM1, and I came home inspired to fight harder for that world to show up in my day-to-day -day life and in the places that I work. Of course, as a cis, able-bodied woman of color, I acknowledge that in so many ways I had more privilege than others in this space. Even as I report this episode, I know there are still so many things I am missing and so many things I still have to learn. But as I left the conference, my biggest takeaway was this. 
When it comes to helping the environment, it is the experiences, expertise, and cultural practices of Black, Indigenous, and people of color that must be leading this movement. And the movement cannot succeed without us. I've been missing you, missing you. Did you know that I still care? I've been trying to, learning to follow through. Even when you're not there I want you to know that it hurts sometimes Thank you to everyone I spoke to at the conference. Featured in this episode are Wingy Kung, Samantha Viatoro, Agnes Vianzon, Natalie Mabane, Anai Naranjo, Shandrika Francis, Sophie Sarker, Grace Anderson, Maida, Stormy St. Val, Yakuta Panuala, and Princella Tali. Music featured from the PGM1 Summit is by Femi Olatunji, Dwight Dunstan, Retta Morgan, Lauren Scott, Aisha Fukushima, and Maria de la Alvarez. Head to the show notes or the episode landing page via she-explores.com to learn about their respective organizations and portfolios. Thank you to Sophie Sarker and Grace Anderson for welcoming this podcast into PGM1 and guiding me along the way. And thank you to REI for supporting this special episode. Thank you so much to Amanda for taking the lead and working with me on this episode. I'll link both her portfolio and her fantastic newsletter in the show notes and on the episode landing page via she-explores.com. I hope you'll join us in our She Explores podcast Facebook group as we start a conversation about this episode. Your feedback is always welcome. Music is also by Centric, as well as Kay Angle and Lee Rosevere via the Free Music Archive. Don't go just yet. As promised, here's the rest of the conversation between Arias Mirian and Jay Lynn, the founder of Native Women's Wilderness. We have... 15 ambassadors throughout the country and in Canada who are doing phenomenal, amazing things within their own communities, but they're also leading events and hikes and talking about the Leave No Trace um, efforts and uh, really working on land acknowledgement. And we have a campaign called Whose Land Are We Exploring On, which acknowledges the original persons and tribes and territories and peoples who originated the land before. So we're doing a lot over here at NWW. <laughs> it's amazing. That's amazing. I love that campaign. Um, we're launching this new partnership, and we are in the very beginning stages, and there's so much energy. There's so much excitement. Um, tell us a little bit from your perspective, like what energizes or what excites you about this collaboration with the co-op? So when I told my ambassadors that we are now being sponsored by REI and then creating this relationship, 
I cannot begin to tell you how many exclamation marks were transferred back and forth through emails and text messages. <laughs> it was amazing and it was really awesome because in a lot of ways we do look at REI to be the front runner of change, right? And I think it's really important that a co-op such as this um, brings on everyone and includes everyone and in so many different areas, Native people and Native voices, especially Native women and non-binaries are excluded from uh, this from the table and so it's been really beautiful and really exciting Marion that you reached out and that you have given us a seat at the head of the table not just like hey you want to come into the room and join us but no like you actually pulled out a seat and said nope you're here your voices matter your people matter your land matters and these are um, issues that we want to come and walk with you and, and be, I hope not just an ally, but an accomplice through both of our, um, the company and our organization that we can actually make really, really great strides to include the native voices and to include native land rights and include murdered and missing indigenous women. These are all such important topics. And so we're excited that RAI is stating this matters. This matters to us and we want to support you the best we can. Thank you for that. I, I can't express enough how excited I am about launching this partnership. I really value everything that you bring to the table and I'm looking forward to this to this new journey together because there's so much to do and together we'll be able to do so much more. Totally. We're we're totally excited. Yay! <laughs>